will be. This describes what I'm going to call field centered worship. God centered work is a sort of Christ centered worship. When we worship, either individually or corporately, it should be about God. And we should bring our best. Listen to the drive time afternoon sports talk shows the last few days. I can't help but be impressed with some of the people who dislike distaste with some of the so-called superstars' lack of effort in the last few games of the NBA Finals. They say that these people are these superstars are going through the motions. They're playing poorly. And then the caller will inevitably get really upset and say, don't they realize they're playing in the NBA Finals? Don't they realize what the games mean? Don't they realize that they may go the rest of their career and never get to this point again? Don't they realize they need to bring their best game every night? You can wonder just how God evaluates our corporate worship. What if God called into a Monday morning Christian radio talk show and evaluated the worship of any given particular local church? Well, I thought their singing was okay, but that message from Pastor Bob was not very well researched at all. Shouldn't they bring their best effort every time? Don't they realize how important this is? Don't they realize that there's a limited number of opportunities that people have to worship me? Don't they realize how important that is? If so, who cares if they can not even evaluate Every time we worship, both, both privately, individually, and corporately, we evaluate. Now, the results of the evaluation won't be known until the judgment seat of Christ. But they will be known. Taking a midterm exam and then not finding out your grade until after the final. Not finding out the grade that you made on the midterm until after the final. And you might say, well, if I had just known that I'd done so poorly on the midterm, I would have studied harder for the final. It doesn't work that way in the church world. We have to wait for the judgment seat of Christ to give us our evaluation. And God doesn't play that game. He doesn't play that game. Well, I would have tried harder at the end if I'd have known I was so far behind. Saying if I gave you today and I gave you tomorrow and the next day, it's up to you to bring your best effort every day. God is constantly evaluating the quality of our worship service. Every worship service, every time, every worship activity is being evaluated. What was our attitude? Do we bring our A game or do we take the fourth quarter off? Do we take the second quarter, that second half of the second quarter off? God is the judge as to whether or not our worship, either privately or corporately, has honored Him. He knows whether or not we're going through the motions, or whether we're worshiping Him with all of our soul and our heart and our mind. He knows. Too often today, Christians approach God as judge. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that they consider that God is the judge. Rather, they judge God. They don't want to know how they can be rightly related to God themselves, but how He might rightly be related to us. What does God have to do to earn my favor? What has He got to give me to earn my favor? Do any of us know that question? They want to know why He didn't give them that job, or why He didn't heal their dad. They demand of God, why didn't you do this? That's not worship. Worship is God-centered, not man-centered. Worship recognizes that God's got the lie. 
The breed of one who stands up and approaches God accordingly will be among the most fulfilled people on earth. But the believer who refuses to understand that, and I use that terminology purposely, the believer who refuses to understand that will be among the most miserable people on the planet. Alan Ross, who wrote a few weeks ago in his life, gives with regard to worship the words flow so easily from our lips that we seldom stop to think about them. We casually talk about knowing the Lord. We say we talk to God and in one way or another hear from God. We attend churches on Sunday that have, as we say, fellowship with God with each other. There we celebrate the belief that He is our God with songs and hymns. But even these have become so commonplace that our minds drift to other more immediate concerns. And when we approach the Lord's table to eat, as it were, we often do not have enough time to appreciate the meal. In short, our worship services have become time-bound routines. We've been so successful in defending God into our busy schedules that worship is often just another activity. But it should be anything but routine or ordinary in our lives. I wonder how often our corporations repent Just us gathering together is enough. Just me showing up is enough. God should be satisfied with that. How about good guarded by doing something? Or good guarded by showing up? How often then for, for worship to be as joyous as it should be, for it to lift people out of their mundane cares and fill them with adoration and praise, for it to be the life-changing and life-defining experience it was designed to be, it must be inspired by a vision so great and glorious that what we call worship will be transformed from a routine gathering into a transcendent union with the living God. How often is this transcendent union with the living God in our lives? God can almost guarantee that it will. And when He does, we will be better in the tenets of that human being. Those trained in the specialties of schizophrenic ecology often can tell a lot about a person's liver function or heart function or nutritional health and many other things just by a careful observation of their skin and of their hair. To the trained eye, these things can be very, very pleasing. But so can the dreaded worship. God, who is the evaluator of local churches, may very well say, great, I'm glad you know a lot about it. Fantastic. Good for you. But your expression of that knowledge has left a lot to be desired. The Jews in Malachi's day were not God's culture. They were judging God. participating in worship, but they were bringing God the leftovers. They were keeping the best for them. They were working God into their busy schedule. 
and he is not impressed by our Constitution. The first five verses of Malachi chapter 1, it's toward the now time when Satan has sensed his home to molest the woman. That is to say, when God blesses her. That should be a game changer. That should be a life changer. But for the Jews, at that time in their history, it wasn't. Ho-hum, big deal. God loves us. Well, how do we know that God loves us? The first five verses answer that. We saw at the end of that lesson that we must embrace the love of God if we're to have a fulfilling spiritual life. That's the first thing. That's the very foundational truth that we need to realize, and that is that God loves us. There is a God who is rich and is knowable. Even though we are in a spiritual condition whereby we cannot humbly commit ourselves to Him who loves us enough to bridge that gap, to bridge that chasm between you and us, He's no longer rich. He no longer satisfies us. And we've got to embrace that if we're ever to have the fulfilling spiritual life that we're supposed to have. And might I also say, because it's the context of Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, that last few times, we've got to embrace the love of God, realize how much He loves us before we will have God on the worship block for which we will be held accountable. Every single one of us. We will be held accountable each and every time we try to worship Him. You're going to see as this passage goes on that there's one person in the Lord's church that's going to be held more accountable than anybody else when it falls into worship in that local church. And that's us. In Israel's time, it was the priesthood. Malachi is pleading to God and he's going to call out the priesthood because the priesthood had not taught them enough, had not stressed them enough, and had allowed them to get away with sloppy, self-centered, unenthusiastic, detached worship allowed them to bring things and place them on the altar that had no business being there. The priesthood allowed it. The priests in the Old Testament that were going to be held most accountable for sloppy worship in the Old Testament, and this is sobering to me, that in the passage, in the New Testament, that's going to be held most accountable if our worship does not line up. And the reason he's held most accountable is because it's my job to make sure it happens that way. If it's not happening that way, then open up a double can of you-know-what. And I don't want to have to do that, but I also don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, hey, you know, you know what you let me get away with? You know what you did? How much time did you put in on that Sunday? Did you just mail it in? I'm going to be, I'm going to be evaluated for all that. Now, you're going to be too on an individual basis, but I'm going to be held more accountable. So if it ever comes to where I feel like we're not honoring God in our worship, I will open up a double can. You can like your corn or you can not, but I'd rather you be mad at me than Jesus Christ. We have got to honor Him in our worship. This is the foundation to everything else that's going to be spoken of here. God loves us, and that should motivate us to in turn love Him, to know Him better, and then to worship and serve Him or live in a more fulfilling way because of that. That should be our goal in life. But hey, the Christian church is not that far back. The the ministry and vision that we have is not that far behind. We want to get people saved. Once they're saved, we want to get them to grow in in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because of that knowledge, we want them to love God more. And because of that love, we want them to serve and worship God more. It's really not that hard. It's pretty simple. 
that's not the way. You can't just wear on your belt that sort of thing. Anything let go that you can have it. Even with our finances, I'm going to pay all my bills. I'm going to lock up whatever bills I want. And if there's anything left over, then I'm going to give that to God. That's not following Scripture. That's taking the life burden. We need to take whatever we're going to give God off and then live on the rest. Then, then budget ourselves for the next year. That's the biblical idea of this. So what they're doing that has gotten God so riled up with them, and they're getting a bad evaluation, and again, it's going primarily to the priest first, but it's going to overflow to the whole congregation by churches. They are not worshiping God. They're bringing in the rest of us. Look at that. Look at verse 9. But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? If such an offering on your part, he will receive you, and he will receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. This is a personal appeal. I think it translates what the paraphrase is. It says something like this. God is speaking. You try to pacify God and get his favor. How can he favor any one of you, says the Lord of hosts, when you offer him such a sacrifice, such flawed sacrifice? How can he favor you? Mark Williams. or corporate. Now, it's so important, I want to say it again. When we worship as corporate, when we know better, we are deluded to think that God is going to bless us. It doesn't work that way. I bring God the leftovers of worship. I show up, that's all. I give sparingly, but want to reap bountifully. I listen, but only when it interests me. I sing, but only when I like the song. I pray, but only when it's something that concerns me. I show up, but three-quarters of me is in reality back home or at the office or at the ball game or watching television, any place but here. And I really expect God to bless me? Really? God says, I don't think so. That's not the way it works. The final five verses of this chapter will echo the same theme. Casual, disinterested, Every single time we 
sit out in the church and listen to them, or work in the nursery, or usher, or sing, or play an instrument. We ought to be bringing our gifts. Every time we decide how much we're going to give to the kingdom or a church organization, we ought to be responsible for that, to give our best, not just the leftovers. This life is going to be over in a rapture. It's going to be finished. And when it's finished, we'll be evaluated by how we lived our life while we're here. And we need to bring our best. Now, let's, let's just assume that this is possible, that there is a life in the midnight night corporate when we have to get up and go through the next service and go over there. We don't have time. We don't have the time. Don't take the second year of life. Sing even if you don't like that song. Like to hear that song. Think of the words. Sometimes something gets passed and we, we're careful with the things that we sing. We choose them so that we can sing them enthusiastically and not have to worry about bad theology in the back of the back. I've had this happen before too. Sometimes some things are not as precise as we'd like them to be. Parents, don't be the ruler of our worship. These are things that we ought to be able to sing with enthusiasm. So the final five verses reiterate the same thing that is in verses 6 through 9. Verse 10, we pray. Oh, that there were among you who would shut the gate, that you might not usually kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleasing because you are holy, nor will I accept an offer from you. You should hear that. You know what he's saying? Someone should just shut the doors of the temple and enter. This temple that God wanted to rebuild so badly, the temple that's the center of Yahweh worship, you know what God is saying? If you're going to worship this way, you're better off shutting the doors. Don't be part of it. Just shut it down. Because you're doing yourself more harm than good coming in here to my temple and worshiping me in this way. It's better not to worship me at all than to worship me in this half-hearted, insulting manner that you're currently doing. He tells the priest. Again, he's telling the priest it's because it's the priest's responsibility to make sure the people at the booth get the message. Right? They can't make them worship them. Because this is starting with bad leadership to begin with. Well, verse 2 is the end of the prayer. This isn't worship. It's an organized insult of the Almighty, he's saying. And it's better not to open the door at all. It's better to put a lock on the gate of the temple than to come in and insult me like that and shut the door. Again, it's the priests, the ones who are responsible for leading worship, that are being singled out. Maybe some of you aren't responsible. Most of you aren't responsible for leading worship. But it doesn't need to get a pass. Because the priests, again, were held in the highest responsibility. In fact, the New Testament passing on the element of worship, there is none, or the leading order very high. It was held in high responsibility for what takes place that day. All over the kingdom of Israel, they had this happen. The heavenly pastor, again, not holy pastor, From the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense is going to be offered in my name, and a grain offering that is pure in my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You know what God's saying? You don't even have to worship me. You don't think I'm sitting on a bed of my breath waiting for you to worship me? 
if you don't do it, somebody else is doing it. There are people that want to worship you. Don't think that because you don't worship me, it's not going to get better. Doing what you need to do to draw a big audience, but it really doesn't matter because that audience is not paying any attention. 
that they never was either. The Bible says they chased the wind. They don't run the race. And in Malachi's time, after the exile, after they've been taken into captivity, they just forgot that they were saved. And who's the leader of the congregation of God? I don't know if women pastors are leading themselves to go this way. That's God's business. We've got to keep it that way. But there's got to be steps. I don't think I can give you steps. I want to make sure that we all get in the race together. All of us get a well done. There's no excuse for anybody in this room not to get a well done at this local church on Sunday. We have been totally empowered to do it. It is totally our free will that they choose to do that or not to do it. I don't care if you have not been doing it for decades of your life. If you're still alive, you can finish well. That's what God wants us to do. Well, finally, in verse 14, this is a sobering passage. First, he was a swindler who has a nail in his flock and vows it and sacrifices a blemish animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. And now I will spread this illustration. Off of the fruit tree, onto the tax collector. Cursed is the swindler. Other translations say, cursed is the cheat. Last time I looked, cursing was the opposite of blessing. We don't want that. We don't want God's evaluation of us now or then. When you swindle, you cheat. Give so much for you, and look how you can cheat me. I love you, and you didn't embrace the fact that I love you. You didn't value the fact that I love you. You never will. You didn't take the opportunity to learn more about me, or you took that opportunity, and you thought, this is it, I know about you. Then me just showing up has satisfied you. That has satisfied you. God says, I am a great king. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, and you need to let me let you go. Folks, this is what it's about. We, we ought to have a great time. It ought to be the best time we've ever doing it well, it will be the most enjoyable, fulfilling thing that we do. If you find corporate worship totally unfulfilling or totally unenjoyable, there's one of two things that's wrong. Either your church is wrong, and yes, they're wrong. They're, they must be a problem church. There's something wrong with your own spiritual life. Before you go blaming your church, the best thing to do would be to look in the mirror and make sure that you're okay. You're okay. You're bringing your best every time. You're playing all four quarters. You're chasing down every every missed shot, every rebound. If you're doing that and you still have a problem, then okay, maybe it's my faith. Maybe it's my community. But it takes it to say you're bringing all you can. Stay in the game and make your best of it. It's better to stay home than to enter into corporate worship and act totally unfulfilled. God says, who do you think you are? Give you think I am. It's a sobering passage. It's a sobering passage. We, as Israelites in Malachi's day, need to rethink our attitude toward corporate worship. It's not something that we just do to show our faith. It is the response of the Been blessed with the joy of the revelation of 
Is response to evidence. Are we going to make a stand? 